welcome to my second hour of Superstar Wednesday. You're listening to Authors on the Air, and I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Before I get started with my guest today, I'd like to remind you of the new books that have been released this week. J.R. Backlund's release, Down the Broken Road. My guest, Claire Fullerton, released Morning Dove. Gavin Reese, my guest in the next hour, released The Absolver Rome. Eve Wing, Chasing Rainbows, New York City. Reagan Black's beautiful new The Guardian Agency book, Dylan. Haba Haba, look at that cover, is out. My dear friend Tim Hallinan has released, released a new Junior Bender book called Night Town. Bo Johnson, my pal, The Big Machine Eats, a collection of short stories. You're going to love it. And my guest who is here just before this hour, Monk Rune Ro, uh, just released Mad Monk Manifesto, a fabulous, fabulous inspirational book. If you like Eckhart Tolle, you're going to love him. Um, Happy Eve of of, of Thanksgiving. I have many things to be grateful for. Um, You listeners and readers are one, and my guest, Claire Fullerton, a novelist, is the other. Let me tell you a little bit about Claire. She claims she's always been a storyteller. I bet she has. She was transplanted from Minnesota to Memphis, and then... um, Claims she learned the early art of observation. I know that writers are the biggest snoops and peeps, so that doesn't surprise me. Um, she also was a radio. She was a, a, a radio DJ, a music DJ. I can't wait to hear about that. Um, she currently lives in Malibu, where she was evacuated because of the horrible fires. We're going to catch up with writer Claire Fullerton whose new book is called Morning Dove. Claire, welcome to Authors on the Air. Thank you so much, Pam. I'm, I'm really happy to be here with you. Um, first of all, tell me how you are faring in Malibu. Well, we're up actually in Santa Barbara at the moment waiting for the power to be restored down there. But we were one of the incredibly lucky ones in that the fires – came to our property and actually charred much of it and did not touch our house. And so oh. the terrain around our house is much changed, and there were some trees that were taken out. And But, but by and large, um, we got very, very lucky. And, you know, sadly, I can say that I have a handful of my friends who lost their house completely, and so uh, mm. we are – we are completely in the good kind of shock uh, that, that the fires themselves bypassed our house. I mean, it can Much touch to the yard a little bit. Much yeah, to be thankful for. Much to be thankful for. Yeah. I it, think it's, so. uh, yeah. And, um, uh, well, I'm, I'm so gratified to hear that you are safe and that your home remains. The landscaping and the trees can all be replaced at some point. But exactly. that you are well yeah. and safe. And have a home to return to is what's most important. Let's talk about you and your powers of observation. Apparently your mom noticed that you kind of uh, (laughs) like to stare at people and you just, you were a people watcher from a, from a child. Um, Do you remember that about yourself? I do. And I, I remember even as a very small child feeling somehow, in witness mode, um, very aware, you know, hyper aware of, of people's mannerisms uh, and the way that they would speak, the way that they would tell a story. And 
and definitely i'm i'm still like that and it's almost like a seeing the world from the outside looking in with a sense of awestruck fascination you know it, it it's not to say that i fancy myself an outsider apart from it because that's not the case at all um but i am you know capable of being in witness and being enamored in a really good way of everything and what's special about people, uh, how they communicate. And if you take that and you couple that with the fact that I am in love with language, the English language, uh, a vocabulary, the art of it's not what you say, it's how you say it, the right word in the right place for the right reasons. To me, it is a high art. And the way I see it, I think that I'm going to spend the last of my days, always trying to say it better, communicate it more accurately. And I pay scrupulous attention to lyrical language. Uh, I want my writing to, to read as if it were poetry. I like the rhythm and I like the cadence. And uh, I'm, I'm particularly in awe of some of the great Southern writers and some of the, the English writers as well, for their, their turn of a phrase. You know, you find that they have unique handles on that. And I think that it informs my writing that I read so much um, that I don't really try. When I write, I, I tend to prefer the, the first person. And I write the way that I speak. And that, to me, is the only key that I have to this this business of being a writer, that, that I write the way I think and I write the way I speak. So that's it, that's um, the only thing that I bring to the table there. <laughs> well, that's an awful lot. Um, you, you know, you consider yourself a Southerner and you call yourself a card-carrying member of the last romantic culture on earth. It is interesting to me that you were born in Minnesota, you were raised you were raised in Memphis, were in California for a, a different career from a music career, and then you went to Ireland and then you came back to California. Yet you still sound very southern. So let me ask you this. Um the South has a rich history of storytelling. It is deeply embedded in the culture and in our family relations and our friendships. Did that affect the way you write also? Indeed, and, and, and I'll take it from uh, from the first step. My mother, born and raised in Memphis, so I was raised by a Southerner, and I moved from Minnesota to Memphis when I was 10, when I had just turned 10. And so it's, you know, the first voice I heard was that lyrical Southern accent. And and I think that people that are musically inclined, which I am, um, we we pick up the accents because we have musical ears. And even when I lived in Ireland, as you mentioned, um, it was interesting. The whole time I was there, um, I understood everybody, even the, the northern Irish accent. I understood it perfectly because the southern accent, musically attuned-wise, has got some of the same rhythms and cadences and... and um, the, the same type of, of word phrasing that they use in Ireland. But if you think about the South, it was settled by the Scotch-Irish primarily, by and large. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you had the African-Americans. And, and if you sort of put that all together in a melting pot, 
there you have you know, the origins of, or the explanation certainly of the Southern accent. And, and I think if one is lyrically attuned. And so, yes, I consider myself a Southerner because my coming of age was in the South. All of my best friends are in the South, you know, and, and, and I think where we grow up is where we always call home, no matter where that is. And, and that certainly is for me because even in California, I still see everything around me through the scrim of my southern frame of reference. And, but I don't think that's unusual. Again, where, wherever you grow up is going to be your frame of reference. You know, and, it is true. and so, uh, yeah, and so I'm very, I'm very proud of it. And, and yes, the South is steeped in, in cultural history, but, but primarily um, the social mores are passed down in families. And, it is true. And who is, imme- who is immediately around the families and, and the milieu and the culture mm-hmm. that, that you are tethered to inexplicably. Um, I don't think that ever leaves anybody, you know. Oh, it doesn't in the South, that's for sure. It is um, yeah. it is definitely rich in tradition like that. Can you tell me about your how you became or how you came to be in the music business, first on the radio and then forward? Growing up in Memphis, which is a you know musical mecca, music town, and, absolutely. Yeah, and you know it's all it's all about the blues and that the the, the origins of the blues came from the the Mississippi Delta, you know, bluesmen that, that migrated to the first big city, which happened to be Memphis. And, of course, they went to Chicago where they plugged in and they became electric. But, um, yes, I grew up in that environment with an older brother who played guitar uh, very well. And I was uh, really interested in being on the air in music radio, and, and I did that for nine years in different formats, and I had a wonderful time. And from there, I was offered a job um, from somebody instrumental, pivotal in, in the Los Angeles music business to come out and discern which bands were going to hit, were going to make everybody money. And so what I did was act as an agent in that I found the bands, or they found me, um, through submissions and, and I would field through that and then meet the musicians and go to the shows and, and act as what they call artist in repertoire and mm-hmm. uh, A&R person and take A&R. to the company and say, and say please mm-hmm. sign this band everybody's going to do well and I had some success with that with a band called Better Than Ezra uh, that eventually was signed to Electro Records and you know it, it was a, a really uh, seamless fit for me um, at the time, you know, and, and it was a wonderful experience for me. But yeah, that's what, what got me to Los to, Angeles. What took you to What took you to Ireland? I decided I wanted to uh, be an Irish poet. <laughs> so I was writing poetry at the time, and when uh, the music business for me started, you know, losing its its glitter, and mm-hmm. and I started thinking, in the best case scenario, what would I want to do? And and I didn't want to just visit Ireland as a tourist. Um, I wanted to live there as a local and experience the culture, and so I why, did. But why Ireland? What made you choose Ireland? Just just a, a deep-seated affinity um, with the culture in the region, and these things might be in the blood as I'm Scotch-Irish descent and on both sides, and I was always just really drawn uh, to the region and to the culture, and I'd been there before. Uh, before mm-hmm. I went and, and oh, didn't I come back. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So. Wow. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and then you came back. You something happened and it brought you back to Los Angeles. And now you are writing full time as a southern novelist. Let's talk about your book Morning Dove. Because okay. I I love I love I love this cover. Um, so much, so much. I wish I could tell you how much I love this cover. It's so beautiful and so vibrant. And, um, you know, if just from a marketer's standpoint, <laughs> when you're thumbing through lots and lots of books and you have this vibrant, beautiful cover on there of a morning dove, um, it, it really stands out. Now, across the board, you have received nothing but five-star reviews, and you've got hundreds of them. Um, you you're, have won a bronze medal reader's favorite. You've won three other awards for this book. Um, tell us a little bit about the story first and then where it came from, Claire. Okay, I will. Um, it's a southern family saga, a coming of age uh, by and large for three-fourths of the book. And it's a little bit of a cause and effect, the sins of the fathers, um, you know, type of story. Sure. That that seeks to say, um, to, to answer some questions about how the characters in the story actually came to the end that they did. And so it concerns a brother and a sister. Uh, and I did pull from the background of my own personal narrative. I fictionalized much of the story. Um, mm-hmm. I, I set it in the deep south in Memphis because it's it's what I know, and I wanted to sing the, pra- the, the praises of 1970s Memphis. Uh, it was very specific back then in terms of the social mores. Uh, it, it, the, the world has changed a bit since then. But at that specific point in time, it was a culture that I found worth writing about. Uh, Morning Dove is set in what I say is the genteel side of 1970s Memphis, where uh, everybody is, for all intent and purposes, the upper crust of society. And I was fascinated in how tradition um, plays into everybody's you know, consciousness and the way that they mm-hmm. live their lives. And the question was, at what expense? At what expense? Because with the brother and the sister growing up, coming to the South, in this case Memphis, as outsiders, the question was, to, to what degree did this influence the different ends that the brothers and sister, the brother and sister came to? So it's interesting to take two siblings that come from the same fabric. They share the same history. They're close in age. And yet they come to different ends. And the question is, why? What happened? And I like the idea of that. And so that was the the premise of Morning Dove. And then, of course, um, I put in, you know, dialogue and setting. And I really tried to capture the way that 1970s Memphis was and people's concerns, you know, what they were concerned with. And, and mostly it was appearances. And I like the idea of that because it fed into, again, at what price? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's a I coming think You mentioned earlier, like, the sins of the father type thing. So, you know. I love, or the, I love the, the idea of that. 
Yeah, the themes yeah. of how that much, are how much very is passed down. Sure. Yeah. How how much is nature and how much is nurture and so on. So it's a exactly. I I've been reading some of your reviews, which are as I said, stellar. And um, uh, congratulations on this. Tell me about the awards, that you, the accolades that you've received for this, please. Okay. Um, I think it was about five days ago, Literary Classics gave it the uh, Words on Wings Award. Um, they gave four books in the book of the year, four books, Top Honors, and, and Morning Dove was one of them. And and it was entered in the category of 17 to 25, so we're talking young adult fiction. And but Morning Doves is is also beyond that. So I am immensely gratified that they saw fit to uh, award Morning Dove in the young adult, and then some are coming of age because it works that way as well. Um, the the reader's favorite gave it the bronze medal in Southern Fiction. The Faulkner Society, which is international, uh, and they're in New Orleans, um, they put it on their list um, at the end of 2017 of novels in their novel list, and, and, and that's prestigious. And the other one it is, is indeed. Independent, independent Authors Network, um, that they, they named it a finalist in their book of the year. So, so that's, what's, that's what's happened so far. You know, um, I think this is an exceptional work of Southern literary fiction. Um, I don't have, there's not a genre for it. I know you say it's Southern, but it is literary fiction. And and judging by the reactions of of your reviewers, um, very well received and beloved. You've written a couple other books and then been part of a collection. So I'd like to touch briefly on those other books too. And starting with um, the very first one that I see published was A Portal in Time. Will you tell me a little yes. bit about that book, please? That concerns um, the question of whether or not we have lived before. And I, I wrote that book and set it in Carmel by the Sea, which is on the Monterey Peninsula in uh, Central California. And um, I got the idea for it by well, my husband and I checked into an historic hotel on our anniversary, and, and when we got there, I was looking around the lobby, and I, I was captivated by a series of stairs uh, rising from the lobby, and I started thinking, that this looks to me like it was once somebody's house, and that's where I got the idea for a portal in time in terms of um, the idea of reincarnation and have we lived before, and that you know, things just seemed rather familiar in there. And I was thinking, I wonder if this place is haunted. And that that's what gave me the idea for a portal in time. And so I wrote it in two time periods that, that were to fit together as if they were a puzzle. And, um, yeah, that, that came out in 2013. One of your photos on your website is you looking at artwork in what appears to be, I don't know if it's a house or a gallery or a hotel or whatever. Where are you in that photo? In Carmel by the Sea. Um, and mm-hmm. it, I, have you ever been there? Are you familiar with it? I, I am indeed. Yeah, that's it's, it's, on uh, downtown Carmel, and it's just a series 
you know, block after block of art galleries, uh, most yes. of them lo- local artists painting landscapes because yes. the landscape is so breathtaking. And, and that was that. My husband took that photograph when we were walking down the street one night, and, and that's how that got on my website. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture. Um, I want to now go back, go to your next book, the middle book, um, Dancing to an Irish Reel. I love the flirtiness and playfulness of the cover. Um, tell me about this book, please. Well, that was after I, I spent a year in Ireland. Uh, and I have always assiduously kept a journal. And when I got back to America, it occurred to me, I've got a great story, if I can just craft it, about a single American female that leaves the, the music business in Los Angeles and moves to rural Ireland. And so that gave me the premise, uh, that and, and going through my journals and seeing, you know, the evolution of how I came to, you know, find a sense of place, you know, a sense mm-hmm. of home in, in rural Ireland. And what I really wanted to do was tell Ireland as it really is, its soulfulness, how the people really are, because, you know, it seems that, that Americans, what, what they get and what they hear about Ireland, uh, it, it's about, oh, it's mystical and it's magical, and, you know, and some books get campy in, in, in terms of an American's frame of reference and in, in, in mm-hmm. depicting the Irish. And I wanted to very, very intentionally bypass anything campy and and tell a story uh, for how I, I found the people, um, which was incredibly soulful and reverential of their uh, antecedents, of their forebears, um, respect for the land, um, a, a sense of reverence for God and the all that is. And, and just how they are as a people is incredibly grounded. You know, they're, they're very salt of the earth on the one hand, but yet on the other, They've got their head, you know, in another dimension with great respect and reverence to God and, you know, that which can't be seen. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful, beautiful mixture um, of, of how to go about life. And that's, how, that's what I wanted to write about in that story. It's, um, it's interesting to hear you discuss your books and, and uh, because the, there's an old expression that everyone says, write what you know, which is kind of in my mind crazy because if you write science fiction or horror, you, know, you can't write what you know. You can't write dystopian. You don't know dystopian. But you've kind of taken that to heart. You've had a very interesting life um, with very deep, deep roots. And it seems to me that you really have written pretty much of the things that you know and it's as you mentioned earlier, it's not semi-autobiographical, but you've taken your own experiences and woven them into these beautiful landscapes that are in your books. Well, well, I can add comment to that, um, and that comment is: it's not right what you know; uh, it's right how you feel. It's two totally different things. And then it is and indeed. Then how, do, how do you feel? Where does that come from? Your impressions, right? How you feel about how, about that which impresses you. You know, what do you have to say about it? Because there aren't that many different ways to live a life. You know, are there? We're all walking around on the planet doing the best that we can. How does this come to you? What is your interpretation of this? 
What is your impression? So if you can get to that, you've got a story. And, and, it, and it's, it's better for, for me than to keep it surface stuff about this happened and then this happened and then this right. person did. You've got to go way beneath that and, and say, because this happened, my response to it was, where did that response come from? Why do I feel that way? You know, or the person, the character, and whatever. And I do prefer writing in the in the first person for that very reason. It's because I can stay uh, immediately connected. You can stay to, in the moment. Yes. Yeah. To the emotion, to the emotional thread. You know. That, right. And, and if you got that, then you've got a story. And so, you know, I, I might do it upside down. Uh, I don't know, but but that is. You know, what I so it works for you. I, it's what works for you. I Obviously, guess, yeah. you're doing something right. So, Claire, <laughs> um, moving you. I know that you have a, a wide variety of interests. Um, you do you still have two dogs? They're German Shepherds, I think. Oh yes, boy, do I have two dogs. What yeah, are two your German dog Shepherds? names? Kaylee, names? which is an Kaylee is an Irish word, and it, it means a musical party. And so I named our female Kaylee. And our male is named Ronin, and it's R-O-N-I-N, which means a samurai warrior gone rogue, uh, which he is. <laughs> and so, yeah, that, that, that we, we are not casual. My husband and I are not casual dog owners. You know, we're, we're the kind that there are children, and where we go, they go. And, uh, you know, you shepherds go. are like that. Yeah. Well, there, yes, yeah, so like I was that. just. They've got to be with you. They've got to be with you, and they are big and rambunctious and loving and have lots of energy, so you've got to do that, too. Yeah. What do you like to do when you're not riding and, and with your dogs and husband? Um, well, I'm, I've been on top of ballet um, since I was very, very young and, and on the side. I mean, for, for many years, I, I taught it in Malibu, uh, Balanchine-style ballet, not the classical ballet, mm-hmm. and, and I'm, cert- I'm certified as a Pilates instructor i have my piece of paper and and for many years in malibu i had a class going on and uh, it, it did real well and i would play music by u2 and cold play and crowded house and you know whatever uh and and just put everybody through what is is essentially ballet bar like like the real the real ballet bar and right. i still keep up with that uh i still meet with some friends and and we do that a lot and um i do a lot of you know walking outdoors, you know, at the beach, in the woods, this kind of thing. Um, I've always loved that. And, yeah, I've got a, I've got a life geared towards the arts. I can definitely Good say that. Good for you. I, I think that's wonderful. Um, first of all, would you please tell everyone where they can find you on the webs and in social media? I will. So the name Claire Fullerton is my website, clairefullerton.com. Easy as that. Uh, I'm Claire Fullerton author on Facebook and I love Instagram. I really love Instagram and I'm <laughs> at uh, CF Fullerton. I have a blast on Instagram and a lot of book people there. And uh, let me see what else. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at C Fullerton three. I'm very easy to find and, and everything is on my website, all my social media links on Claire it, It's a, it's a really beautiful beautiful website uh with the ocean and the colors are very pleasing easy to navigate 
um, no bells and whistles that are interrupting you from looking at what's going on, which is so, so delightful. When I go to a website and there's music and I have to turn it off and then go to another page, I got to turn it off again or something's whizzing by my eyes. I'm like, oh, bother with that, you know. I understand. <laughs> it's just too much. I, I want it simple, you know. It's so simple. <laughs> I want to thank um, Claire Fullerton, author, for sponsoring tonight's show. And I want to also remind you that um, you can find more about Claire at her website. I've added things on my page. This interview will be available in SoundCloud over the next few days. Um, It is also available as a podcast with about an hour after we finish this show. Claire, are you writing now? Are you finishing up another book? Are you taking a break? Like, Are you waiting to go back to your house? What's on the agenda now? I do have another manuscript. I have a wonderful agent by the name of Julie Gwynn, uh, the Seymour Literary Agency, and she is my partner. And, uh, you know, we, we have another manuscript out there. And, I, I, you know, I'll keep you posted on, on what pans with that. But but meantime, uh, Firefly Southern, Southern Fiction is my home. Lighthouse Publishing of the Carolinas is the parent company and I am having a blast with these beautiful people over there they are working my book and I couldn't be more grateful and so as for the future um, I am also compiling uh, research for yet again another book and you know it's all really one thing that happens in an author's life it's just where are you today you know what are you doing today is is, is the question but but yeah every, every day every day all day in some shape fashion or form uh, I am living the writer's life, and uh, I'm immensely grateful for it, for the lifestyle. But it's been great being here with you, Pam. I appreciate it. Oh, Claire, I've just enjoyed our session so much, and I want you to come back when you have your next book out so we can catch up, and I want to make sure that you've moved back into your house and relandscaped <laughs> and everything is going well for you. Thank In the meantime, um, thank you for sponsoring tonight's show. That's uh, www.clairefullerton.com. And I wish you and your husband and your babies. Uh, Kylie and Ronan, a wonderful Thanksgiving and a very, very happy holiday. Um, Thanks for being with me, Claire, so much, so much. And thank you, listeners, for being with me, too. And I'll be back later with another great author. Have a great day, everyone. And thank you, Mom and Dad. Bye. (laughs) 